Hey, this is Joe Caminetti Jr. Welcome to the BC Podcast. We hope it inspires you and helps you in your journey with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Today, I'm excited to jump into Not My Own, our final week. And I thought I would do it by talking about a little trend I've noticed over the last few years that I'm grown less and less fond of as it has progressed. And that is simply this phrase that I've heard over and over and over. And it's just this, what Enneagram type are you? You know, has anybody been in those conversations where Enneagram is like it? And I always know in every room, there's always an Enneagram Annie. Um, you know, no offense if your name's Annie, but there's always somebody who's just so into the Enneagram and you're an Enneagram evangelist and we love you for it, but also be careful because, you know, it's so easy to be like, oh, it's just, that's such a three move. Oh my gosh, did you see that? That's a seven. That's a seven over there. And people are like, what? And they're like, oh, that's such a seven. Only sevens would ask that, you know? And you're like, okay, eventually I'm just kind of over this whole Enneagram thing, even though early on I was kind of a big fan of it. But, uh, you know, we, we do all these types of personality profiles and all kinds of things like that, including if you've ever been on Facebook for more than 30 seconds, you've seen those, you know, what Star Wars character are you? Um, and there is something very relieving to finding out that you're R2-D2 and not C-3PO, okay? Uh, that's the only thing I'll say about that. I, even in preparation for this message, I actually did what one of those quizzes about which Disney princess are you? Um, purely scientific, of course. And uh, I did find out I was Elsa, so... My daughter's pretty excited about that, I think. Um, turns out she's not great at, I don't know what it says about me. But anyways, uh, but people do ask youth pastors, what do you do during your week? And that's it. We take Disney princess quizzes, but it's for the kids. We do it for the kids, okay? Uh, so, no, it, what, what is it inside of us that makes us so prone to wanting to know who we are, right? Like personality profiles and, and all these online quizzes. What is it on the inside of us that makes us want to, to figure all that stuff out? And there might be a lot of answers, but I do think it kind of points us to this concept that's within philosophy, that there are four basic existential questions that all of us ask and whether it's conscious or subconscious, we all have answers to this question, to these questions. And our answers to these questions make a big deal in how we live our lives. And so here are the four questions. First question is just simply, who am I? Who am I? Where did I come from? Where am I going when I die? And how should I live my life? How should I behave? And so every person, whether you're here, whether you're a Christian, not Christian, every person answers those questions in some way, shape, or form. And today I'd love to just spend a few moments talking to you about that first question, who am I? You know, your answer to the question of who am I is one of the most important answers you can have in your life because what you don't realize very often is that our understanding of our identity, that answer that we have to the question of who am I impacts so much about our world. It impacts so much about our behavior that we're not even conscious of it most of the time. In fact, when you study habit formation and you think about how people build habits and almost all of us know better than we do, right? Like you could tell somebody how to live a healthy life. Do you do it? Eh, you know, and all of us have that gap and the gap is not our knowledge, it's our habits. And so the gap between where we wanna be and where we are is usually because of our habits. And one of the things they'll tell you when you're looking at habit formation is that identity is the foundation of it all because it's very hard to violate who we believe we are. To give you an example, if I were to look at someone who is no longer smoking, maybe they gave up smoking and, and I were to offer them a cigarette, I wouldn't do that because I don't, I don't want to offer someone who's trying to quit something. But if I, if I were to offer them a cigarette, there are two ways that they could say no to that cigarette. The first way is that they could say, no thanks, I'm trying to quit. The second way is that they could say, no thanks, I'm not a smoker. 
And you may say, well, those sound very similar, but they're not, they're completely different. See, because the person who says, no thanks, I'm trying to quit, they still see themselves as a smoker. And therefore, when they say no to the cigarette, they are violating their understanding of their identity. But the person who says, no thanks, I'm not a smoker, they no longer see themselves as a smoker and therefore to take the cigarette feels like a violation of their identity. And so it's really important for us to recognize this because honestly, one of the easiest ways to overcome temptation in your life is not to just think about not doing something. It's about reshaping your understanding of who you are. Because you would start to think, well, I'm not the type of person that does that. See you later. And so this question of identity is so wildly important for us. And yet I think that all of us are susceptible to one thing and that's to the counterfeit. There's this painting by Picasso. It's called La Femme à Chapeau Bleu. And... Uh, <laughs> I literally looked it up and then in the last service I asked, hey, did I say that well? And they were like, no, you did not. But I tried my best, okay, to all of you who speak French, I apologize for how I defamed your language. But there's this painting called La Femme à Chapeau Bleu. And in this painting, this is a Picasso painting worth $2 million. And the reason that it's worth $2 million, even if you wouldn't put it up in your living room, is because someone spent $2 million to buy this back in 2010. So it might be worth more now. But when they purchased this picture, it was obviously a quite an investment. What's interesting is about a year later, they discovered that the art dealer who sold this painting had La Femme Chapeau Bleu, but it was stolen from her. And so what she did is she paid a friend $1,000 to recreate it. And it was a counterfeit that someone paid $2 million for. And isn't it interesting to think that in your living room, you have it encased and it's like you got security cameras on something and you're like, this is amazing. This is from Picasso. And then you find out it's like, this is worth a thousand bucks. This is somebody did this in their living room like 10, 10 seconds ago, you know? And so many of us, we are so content living with counterfeit identity in our life. God has made us. I believe Ephesians 2, Psalm 139, they talk about this idea that God created you as a masterpiece, that God made you a work of genuine living art, that you were worth far more than millions of dollars. And yet so many of us, we live the thousand dollar version of our $2 million, what we should be living $2 million existence. And so today I wanna ask us all this question and maybe it's something you could turn on yourself and just say simply, am I content with counterfeit? Are you content with the counterfeit identities that you've taken on? Are you content with things that have been real about you but are actually false, not true? There's so many aspects to this. And I think if we're gonna ask this question of am I content with counterfeit, it's important to start the question with where do we find our identity? This is a really, really important point because if we're talking about the importance of identity, we have to know how do we actually go about discovering our identity? Or do we define it? Do we create it? Do we make our identity? And I just wanna fill you in on the cultural web that has been woven around you that you don't even realize very often, but it is a part of, yes, education, but an education in a much larger sense. The ideal way that we have been taught to find our identity through every movie and through every kid's movie and every song has been through this concept of following your heart. Isn't that the normal story that we see in Hollywood? It's like everything else is going one way, the parents don't approve, but then it's like, yeah, follow your heart and that's how you find your true identity. Live your truth. And yet, if you were ever to really follow down the road of follow your heart, you, you would realize that very often it leads us to very confusing 
and ultimately incredibly isolated places, right? Because if everybody keeps following their own heart, eventually what happens is you only do what you feel and you start to only care about your, yourself as the primary value. And so you start to become more and more isolated. And could we say that that has been that byproduct of our culture is that we become more and more isolated. We become more and more confused. Why? Because following your heart doesn't actually lead us to what we think it does. I wanna to propose to you a very different approach to understanding your identity, starting with the word of God. In Exodus chapter three, we see that Moses, the story of Moses, here's what it says in Exodus chapter three, verse one. It says, one day when Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, he led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why is that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses. Here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. We're gonna to continue to read, but I wanna say one thing, that I do believe the soil, the ground that is best for discovery of identity is holy ground. That in the presence of God, we have the ability to lock in and connect with the one who created us. And just so you know, God's here with you today. His presence is just as much here with you right now as it was for Moses. And just as much when you're in TCI and, and when you're with our friends online, you are in the presence of God. The Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now go for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I? There's that question once again, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God is about to do something that has not been done in all of human history. He's about to take an entire people group that are subject enslaved, enslaved to another people group and he's about to free them within a few months. Never happened before in human history. And God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to be the person that leads this. And do you know the very first thing Moses says? Who am I? Because maybe when Moses thinks about who he is, he thinks about the kid who was an orphan, he was adopted. Maybe he thinks about the kid who grew up in the palace with a silver spoon in his mouth, never had to earn anything in his life, never had to lead anyone. Maybe he thinks about the murderer, the person who had a good idea, but then totally made the wrong choice when it mattered most. Maybe he thinks about an insignificant shepherd who's on the backside of the desert that will die alone that nobody will ever know. It's so interesting that God had a calling for Moses that was gonna literally change history, but the thing that limited Moses was his thinking and his understanding of who he was. He said, who am I? And this is one of my favorite moments in scripture. Look at what God says back to him. Verse 12, God answered, I will be with you. 
It's one of the most frustrating things, but I've learned that it's one of my favorite things when God answers questions you aren't asking and he doesn't answer the one you are. Because Moses is having this existential crisis and he's saying, God, who am I to do this huge thing? Who am I? And God says, I will be with you. Okay, but are you gonna answer my question? Like, this is what God does. And I think what God is trying to do is he's trying to point Moses towards something that's so much bigger than himself. That who am I only makes sense when you understand who he is. And so Moses begins this journey of self-discovery. I love what David Benner says. He says, we do not find our true self by seeking it. Rather, we find it by seeking God. This is direct, directly opposed to what the world is offering us. Follow your heart, live your truth. See, I'm convinced that we discover ourselves, but we don't do it by ourselves, that we don't discover ourselves by ourselves, that it is only when we get a glimpse of who God has made us to be. In fact, I would argue from scripture that there is a me that God has created me to be. And the same is true of you. Psalm 139 is this beautiful poetic moment. It's this beautiful poetic psalm where I believe it's King David. He, he talks about how God formed the universe, but he also formed David in his mother's womb, that, that, that we were made with intention by God. We were fashioned even in our parents' womb, our mom's womb. And I love at the end of Psalm 139, he says this phrase, he says, but God point out to me if there's anything offensive in me to you. I love that idea that it's only when we begin to ask the one who created us, is there any areas where we're living in the counterfeit? Are there any areas where we're living far, far short or far opposed to what you wanna do in us that we can actually hear the voice of God allow us to become who we're meant to be? And maybe this is a novel concept to you, but have you ever considered asking your creator how he created you? Have you ever considered just asking God, God, who am I in your eyes? This is the message. This is the message that God was giving to Moses. This is the message that he gives to us. And I, I love this because I think so many of us are ready for a genuine understanding, a genuine encounter with who God has made us to be. They're gonna put a, a bill on the screen and I wanna ask you, this is not a trick question. I want to ask you, is this bill genuine or counterfeit? Now, overwhelmingly, I heard some people say counterfeit. There was a few of you that I know who you are. You said genuine, okay? I'll talk to you later. Now, let me ask you this question. Have you gone through extensive training to learn all the different types of counterfeits that are out there? Have you, have you just gone thing after thing and you, you've gone through classes where it says, okay, if you see something with curly hair and a painted smile, like if you see all of that goodness of Bob Ross on there, then don't accept it because it's not real. Or have you, have you Googled just all the possible counterfeits that are out there in order to get this question right? Chances are, you haven't done any of that, but how come you were able to spot this as a counterfeit? Because you know the real. In fact, when they train national agents to be able to spot counterfeits, the, the best of the best, the people that have to get it right or their company's gonna lose or our nation's gonna lose, you know how they train them to do it? They don't go through all the counterfeits. You know what they do? They have them get intimately aware and understand the real, the genuine. 
Oh, and this is so good because I think we can only become aware of the counterfeit once we've experienced the genuine. It is only when you get a taste of seeing who God made you to be that you realize, oh yeah, that's not who I am. That's not what I'm about. That's, That's not where I'm gonna live my life. And so as we're in this journey of discovering our identity through the lens of how God made us, one thing that you can know about yourself is that first of all, all human beings, Genesis chapter one says that they were created in the image of God, both male and female. So every person in this room was made in the image of God, just right out the gate. But then when you were born again, you were actually born as a child of God. And here's what's so cool is that we begin to reflect God's nature. Our true identity will always be able to be said about God. And so if we think about who we are, our true nature, our true identity will reflect God. So I ask this question, you've called yourself not enough. You've called yourself insufficient. You've called yourself insecure. You've called yourself unaware. You've called yourself an addict. Could you say that about your heavenly father? No, God is a shepherd. He's a leader. He's not confused. God has clarity and wisdom. See, we are shaped in his image and therefore our true identity will reflect him. And this is so powerful for us to understand. And I wanna take you to one challenge though that I think can pop up in these moments where we're on the process of self-discovery by seeking God. And that is to warn you against simplistic approaches to spirituality and understanding your nature. I was at coffee with a friend not too long ago and we were sitting down, we were just talking and he was telling me about how his experience coming to Jesus was so powerful, but then he was talking to one of his friends and he said, yeah, like Jesus has changed my life so much. And she's like, hey, that's great, but I have these crystals and I, I just find so much contentment in my crystals and so I'm good. And he came to me, he's like so confused. He's like, I don't get it. How is that possible? And I think part of the reason why is because in youth groups like my own and and places all over the world, we, we tell people like, you cannot find any satisfaction outside of Jesus. In fact, I've probably said that exact phrase. But I just want to tell you this. You can find satisfaction outside of Jesus. You can find contentment in your counterfeit. The first thing that came to my mind when I heard that was I thought about Exodus chapter three. Well, not just Exodus chapter three, but the the story of Exodus where Moses is sent by God to go to Pharaoh's court. And he's gonna do all these powerful signs, right? The 10 plagues and all these things to show Pharaoh, hey, you need to let my people go. But I don't know if you're aware of this, the first three or four plagues and signs that Moses shows, Pharaoh's magicians can replicate comes in with a staff, throws it on the ground, it becomes a serpent. The magicians come up with their staff, throw it on the ground, it becomes a serpent. Moses goes to the Nile River, puts a staff in it, it turns to blood. The magicians go to a place of water, they they do whatever they do, they turn it to blood as well. See, one thing that I think can be really confusing is that we can think, no, 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 I heard that Jesus is the only place of satisfaction. And then you start living in false identities. You start living with the rival powers and you start to realize like, actually, I find a lot of contentment here. I kind of like letting money be my guide in life because like I get to go on more vacations. It's fun. We, we don't realize though, here, here's the thing that we don't realize. 
that yes, there are many rival powers, but they're no rival in power. It's important to know this, that there are rival powers. There are things that can make you happy outside of Jesus. But here's what I would say, and maybe how I would shape it moving forward when I talk to our youth group. It's not that you can't find contentment outside of Jesus. It's that you can't find ultimate contentment outside of him. You can't find ultimate satisfaction outside of him. That if you want to live life the way that you were made to live 100% to the fullest expression of contentment and satisfaction, it will not be found in something that is counterfeit. It will only be found in the presence of the living God. Because let me tell you, there was a moment where those magicians could not keep up and they could not replicate the, the signs that Moses was doing. In fact, they had to say to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, uh, we can't keep up with this. This must be the hand of God. We have to be aware of how God wants to bring fullness to your life and you must be willing to forsake the counterfeit, even if it costs you satisfaction temporarily. I love how Moses is approached in this story. But before that, actually, I wanna read 1 Corinthians chapter six, starting in verse nine. It says, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? In other words, people who their identities have been shaped by the wrongdoing, they don't have place for God's rule and reign in their life. What is God's kingdom? It's wherever he rules and reigns, whatever he wants to happen, happens. So whenever we allow sin to control our life, we just don't leave space for God to rule and reign in us. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying, do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. Paul is saying, these were all the identities that, that you brought when you came to church. These were all the identities that you had before Jesus. But he's, notice he doesn't say, this is what some of you are. He says, this is what some of you were. Why? Because he goes on to say, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. When we come to Christ Jesus, whatever might have been real about us before, even if it was what felt like reality is no longer true. And so you have to make the decision, will I live out of what has been my real identity or my true identity? And this is where we're challenged, but there's one secret weapon that I think Moses had that God used in his life that I've seen him use throughout. Chapter three, I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit here uh, to people doing the notes. Chapter three of Exodus, verse 18, it says, the elders of Israel will accept your message. When God sent Moses, he said, yep, I'm choosing you. And Moses said, okay, well, who am I? And then God said, okay, I'll be with you. And then Moses said, okay, but who are you? And then God says, I am who I am and I will be with you. And he tells Moses that when you go back to your people, the elders of your community, they will see your presence on my, my presence on your life. They will see my power working in you and they will affirm that you are my chosen one. And this is so crucial to understand that we find our identity in God by seeking God, but it is affirmed in godly community. In fact, I would say it this way, the wrong people will affirm the wrong things, but the right people will affirm what God thinks. We all know this, that we're probably the average of our five closest friends, that our friends determine our future. We've all heard that. I've preached that in youth ministry so many times because I think it's so true. Can I just tell you, it's important who you surround yourself with. Not just for you becoming the average of them, but because you will start to think like them. 
I love what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.18. He says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier. May they help you fight well in the Lord's battles. I want you to notice something here. Paul is writing the letters of 1 and 2 Timothy. These are things that we've been reading for centuries now, millennia. And it's powerful, it's general. But did you know what he said? He said, the way I'm going to instruct you is based on the prophetic words given to you. In other words, Paul said to Timothy, I have specific instruction for you based on who you really are that God has affirmed in community. Do you know where Timothy received those prophetic words? In his church community. People in his church community saw him and said, you know what? Whoa, I I sense that you're a leader. God's called you to be a pastor. He's called you to be apostolic. And so they started to speak that out over Timothy. And Paul said, yep, remember what they said. And when you fight the battles that you're about to fight in doing the work that God's called you to do, remember, hold on to those prophecies. And I think about my experience growing up. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I grew up as a kid that actually still respects his parents when they were pastors. I know that's not always the case, but my parents were amazing. They, they, they raised me. They, they were who they said they were in the pulpit, same thing at home. They genuinely loved God. But I also felt the same way I feel here at Believers. I, I always felt like I had a church family too. I had a group of people, I think about their names, like, you know, Diane Schwabe and, and Bill Payne and these people that they were like my grandparents' age or older, but they took me in as a part of their family. And it, I can remember over 20 years of being in that place where I was growing up, I would watch these people. They would speak over to me and they'd say, Ryan, you, you have a gift to be able to speak in a way that will pierce darkness and jolt atmospheres. You, you have a gift. And, and they, they would say to me, Ryan, you're a person of great faith. And they, they said, Brian, hey, I'm gonna start this prayer thing. You wanna jump in with me because I think you have a way to lead. And they started to affirm all these things. They started to encourage. They started to just be these people that were on my side. And through the community of God's family, I started to get an understanding of who I was that has actually carried me through some of the tough times of my life. I have a lot of those things written down in a document and I go back to them time and time again. And God has used people's affirmation in godly community, not just anybody, but godly community, people who had the spirit of God and saw the spirit of God on me and they spoke it out over me and it's changed the direction of my life and the understanding of who I am. And this is why for us, connect groups is not just something that we say, hey, do this so that we can have more connect groups and we can have more people who are plugged into the machine. No, Connect Groups is a place where you develop relationship with people who might someday be those type of people that see something that God is doing in your life and say, you know what? Have you ever noticed this about yourself? And they're speaking directly to you from God. And there might be those people that said, oh, that's interesting that you're acting that way and you're like destroying all your relationships because that's not who you are. Like, did you know that you are somebody that God actually has given compassion to and empathy and and people are going to surround you And does it happen in your first group? I don't know, maybe, but I do know this, that when you start to build relationships with people, they become part of this family that God affirms your identity. And so some of you, hey, if you've been coming to church and it's like, yeah, I just sit in the pews and that's great. I know God's gonna speak to you. I know that. But one of the ways that God wants to form you is through people. He wants to form you through people. Even Jesus, when he was baptized, had the heavens part and God the Father said to Jesus, Jesus is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I say that to both my kids every morning when I see them. Why? Because he was affirming something to Jesus, but he wasn't just doing it for Jesus' sake. He was doing it for the community of people to see who Jesus really was. 
We find our identity not in following our heart. We find our identity in seeking God and it's affirmed in godly community. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you created every person within the sound of my voice with a purpose, with an identity in your image. And there are some people who feel like they have walked so far from who you made them to be that there's no bridge back, there's no way back. But I just thank you that your identity, it always is there. It cannot be lost cannot be fully forsaken, that it is always inherent within each person here. So I'm praying that you would use today's word. I'm praying that you would use our community of faith to help unlock that in people, that they would hear your voice maybe for the first time as you reveal to them who they are and who they're not. If there are people in here that are confused, that feel like they're wandering, that their identity has cost them so much, I'm praying that you would give them clarity and wisdom. I want to stay in this attitude of prayer. So if you don't mind, just stay in this moment. And I want to invite anyone who's never made a commitment to follow Jesus, I want to invite you on the journey of discipleship. I want to invite you to make Jesus the Lord of your life. What's so cool about that? Jesus, yes, he can forgive our sins. He can give us eternal life with him. It's truly a gift from God. It's nothing we could earn on our own. But what's even better about it is that we, when we place our faith in Jesus, when we say that, Jesus, I believe you're God, that you're Lord of all creation, that you died for my sins, rose to life again, and I'm gonna trust you with my life. When you do that, God, through the power of his spirit, actually makes you born again. You are rebirthed. You are reborn in the image of God as a son or daughter of God and you are in God's family and you get all of the privileges of his inheritance. And so if you've never made that decision, I believe God might even be working on your heart right now. And, and I wanna encourage you to just pray a simple prayer that we're about to pray. Thousands have prayed it before right here in this church, right online. But it's a prayer that offers our faith to God and, and knowing that God will save us. So church, would you help me pray so no one prays alone? Right there at TCI, right there online, would you pray with us? Say this, say, Jesus, I need you. I know I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I repent of my ways. I ask for forgiveness. Jesus, I believe that you're God. You died for my sins. You rose to life again so I could have life with you. You are Lord of my life. I'm following you. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There are a couple things I'd love for you to do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. That helps us spread the word and impact more people. You can also help us see others connected to God by investing today at believers.cc slash give. And if you want updates on all things Believers Church, check out believers.cc or follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram or search Believers The Connecting Place on Facebook. The best way to connect with BC is live and in person at one of our weekend worship experiences. We have locations in Boardman and Warren and you can get the service times and plan your visit at believers.cc. Thanks for tuning in to the BC Podcast.